Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the third class of five. I think the newsletter says four, but there's five parts the way that I separated the Anapanasate Sutta. Um, and then I'm just going to go back over uh, part of what we touched on last week um, without too much commentary. But if anybody has any questions about this, just let me know. So we talked about the four bases of power. This is what is developed through jhana practice and using the four foundations of mindfulness. That's calm, rooted in concentration, persistence, rooted in concentration, right intention, rooted in concentration, and wisdom or right view, rooted in concentration. So we're really saying that Dhamma practice is rooted in concentration, and everything that we develop is founded in that four foundations of mindfulness. That's why the, the Buddha called it that, and that's why we, we place such importance on developing that. And then the, the next thing we talked about last week and last class, and if you, if you missed any of these classes, please catch up on them. Uh, the five faculties. So faculties are something that we, we have. There are qualities that every human being has. And we bring them forth through concentration and Dhamma practice. The five faculties are conviction, and that relates directly to right effort, enthusiastic engagement, and that again relates to right view and right intention, right or refined mindfulness, knowing what to hold in mind and what not to. The Eightfold Path is a limiting path, and it is an, in that um Developing and living within the framework, the limiting framework of the Eightfold Path is paradoxically where our great liberation and freedom comes from. And it really is from that well-concentrated and calm mind that we're able to experience um, all of life without any kind of um, preference or needing to feel like we have to edit it. Like, I wish this didn't happen. Ram may want to talk about something that happened to him recently that relates to that. Um, but if, we, if we're going to have practice the Dhamma, and if we really begin with understanding Four Noble Truths, the first Noble Truth is there is Dukkha, which means as a consequence of having a human life, there is going to be stress and suffering. Don't take any of it personally. And why should we? Because nothing is happening to me. It might seem like that if I start taking things personally, but the things that are happening um, are just a consequence of living in this in this world and having this human life. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to touch on this or not. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Some of them are pretty horrific especially right now, and they seem to be getting, uh, things seem to be maybe escalating. But that has always been going on, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware and be concerned, and we're going to touch on concern in a moment. Uh, but to understand that 
even some of the atrocities that have occurred over time and might be occurring right now, some are, are not to be dismissed as, ah, okay, I don't really care about that, but they're to be understood. And all of it, all of it, is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths that leads to greed and aversion, right? And you can trace every human conflict to greed and aversion, usually both, you know, they're usually connected together. I'm, I, I want a certain thing, I'm greedy for it, and I create an aversion to the, those people or things that I think might take that away from me. So it might seem too simplistic, but if we can understand that within ourselves, then we can understand it happening in the world. And we learn the difference, the significant difference. This is what a mature, fully mature human being would understand, the difference between approval and acceptance. So there's all kinds of things that go on all the time that we don't have to approve, but we accept it. Right? Because we understand the nature of Dukkha and where that comes from. So, um, conviction, enthusiastic engagement, refined mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Those are the five faculties. Those are things that we all have. And the five strengths that rooted in Dhamma practice. Again, conviction, meaning that we understand that a human being developed this awakening and he left us, left, left, left us his dhamma, and he left us some people who sometimes don't speak very well. Conscience, meaning a, a true conscience, not a, not a moralistic or patronizing con conscience, but conscience meaning a real regret, and you could even use the word shame at our own behavior if it, if it falls outside of the Eightfold Path, if it becomes aggressive, if it's rooted in greed or aversion. Right? We should have a conscience that feels regret, that are, are ashamed of that. Not in the way that we take ourselves behind the woodshed and beat the hell out of ourselves, but just as a, as a matter of conscience. This doesn't fall within the framework of the Eightfold Path when we abandon it. And then from that understanding comes concern for the suffering that is on, going on in the world and that we can... We can be a part of this solution, but I, but I'm, I'm not talking about going out in the world and uh, and protesting this or that. If you want to do that, that's fine. But if we really want to end conflict in the world, and human beings have been wanting to do that since we first came out of caves, if we really want to end conflict in the world, if we're serious about it, it makes sense that we first end conflict in our minds, doesn't it? And if we're pr protesting against everything all the time, and that's where our mind state is, we're, we're, staying our, we're keeping ourselves in a state of conflict. And that's not helpful to ourselves or anybody else. Once we understand that, we can develop persistence for integrating the Eightfold Path as the framework for refined mindfulness and for one's life. And then wisdom and discernment or a penetrative understanding for the arising and the passing away of suffering and for all phenomena. Discontent is the ability to see things appropriately. Oh, sorry, discernment is the ability to see things appropriately and within the appropriate context. And what is the appropriate context? It goes right back to the first noble truth, there is dukkha. Discernment is a quality of right view. And that's where we ended our 
last week's or less. What's today? Tuesday, Saturday's class. So now we're going to talk about the seven factors of awakening. And these are things that are developed, but they're also part of us. Any quality that we can develop, whether it's for, and let me just use these terms, not in a biblical sense, just in a, in a practical sense, for good or for evil, comes from within us. Right? We have these qualities. Each human being has the capability for good or for evil, to do harm for oneself and others or not, or to live peacefully and calm. If, if we didn't have these qualities, we couldn't develop the qualities that an awakened, fully mature human being would have. It's not magic. We don't create these things. They don't come from us, from the ethers. They're part of us. Seven factors for awakening. Refined mindfulness. Penetrative investigation of the Dhamma. That's what we're doing here in class and then on our own practice. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, it, it follow, follows that with rapture or joyful engagement with the Dhamma. So what's the difference of those two? Well, the root of the word enthusiasm, the Latin root is enthos. And that means to be inspired by or in, in spirito, to be uh, inspired by your own understanding of the Dhamma practice and what it now means to be a human being, to really understand that. So we generate that enthusiasm because we know what we're doing is bearing fruit. That's why we talk about this in every class recognizing where Dhamma practice is working and changing and developing and moving towards a common peaceful mind and an understanding in all of human life, right? So we don't, we, we, we abandon the childish notions that I got to get the biggest pile of fun stuff and then I'll be good to go. What's most important to human beings? Going back to the time of the caveman, what was most important? when there was saber-toothed tigers chasing after you and other things. Or right here, right now, with what's going on in 2023 on this human planet. We've been on this planet for a long time. Right? The stuff that's going on right now, for good or for bad, has always been going on. The notion that we're somehow, we should be past the difficult things that are going on in the world, that we should be free of greed and aversion, that shouldn't be happening in a world. Well, that's that's a real simplistic way of looking at the world because the world isn't like that. Dukkha occurs. Dukkha occurs. If we really want to end conflict in the world, let's end conflict in our mind. And then at the very least, we'll be calm and peaceful no matter what's occurring. But we'll also make better judgments. Enthusiasm, rapture, calm, concentration, and equanimity. And that's rooted in the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view or right understanding, right intention or right resolve, right speech, right action, action right livelihood, right effort, right or refined mindfulness, and right or jhana meditation. So calling these things right implies there's a wrong there's a wrong view. There's a wrong intention. There's wrong speech. There's wrong action. There's wrong livelihood. There's wrong effort. There's wrong mindfulness. And there's wrong meditation as far as the Dhamma is concerned. So 
that, and that's where discernment comes in. That's what we're learning. Most people today are caught up in a in this new agey thing that we shouldn't um, apply discriminating consciousness to what's occurring in the world. We should just say everything is wonderful. Everything is wonderful. Let's just look at the positive. Well, that's that's just a way of continuing our own ignorance, isn't it? Because life simply isn't that way. We can make believe. But now we're living in a fabricated fantasy. And most people live their entire lives in that bubble. Always afraid of one thing that we can understand and become masters of. There is dukkha. Where does it arise? Where does dukkha come from? Does it come from out there? Does it come from what's going on in the world and what people might be doing or my boss? Or my spouse or my dog? No. I saw Julia shaking her head. Where does where does it come from? Where does Duca come from, Julia? Uh, within your mind, I guess. Yeah. It always occurs in here. And our entire life is happening between our ears. Right? Where else where else is it happening? Where where is our experience of our life? It's at that point of contact. And if at that, at that point of contact, I have control of my mind through jhana meditation and a developed right view, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, then no matter what is occurring, my mind is calm, there is no conflict, and equanimity pre pre prevails no matter what, through understanding. Then the Buddha says, in this community of monks, this is early in the dispensation. Remember the Buddha's holding these, I think there were 26 or 28 monks up as an example of arahantship, of how to develop the Dhamma and what it looks like. So again, it's early in his dispensation. There weren't any nuns. and Nuns would come later, though. I don't want it to sound, I say that because I don't want it to sound like uh, uh, women were excluded from the Buddha's Sangha. They weren't. There's an ongoing fabrication in Theravadan Buddhism that the Buddha said women shouldn't be involved in the Dhamma. And there's still some some lineages where that's still true. No, don't get talk about it. There are monks re, re, who remain devoted to the development of goodwill and compassion to concern and equanimity. All right, this isn't in, in a moralistic or a patronizing way, but simply as a consequence of understanding that if I end conflict in my mind, then I won't introduce it to you or anybody else. That's true goodwill, isn't it? Abandoning what's inside me that might generate ill will and justify it. In any way. Imagine that. Imagine not having to hate anything or anybody. The only way we can do that is through understanding. Again, we learn the difference between approval and acceptance. We have a, a great opportunity right now to practice that and what's going on in the world. The Buddha continues, they understand the relentless decay of the body and the impermanence, meaning the arising and passing away of all conditioned things. Such are the monks in this community of monks. He's, the Buddha is pointing out something 
very important there that most people, again, most people don't want to look at it. We get one breath in the beginning, one breath in the end. What are we going to do with all the rest of the breath? The body is in a relentless state of decay. When are you going to start living your life? When am I going to start living my life? When will I learn to be present for my life? Because you can't get there too fast. Remember Bahia. When are we going to do it? When are we going to wake up? It's up to us. When do I want to be free of the internal conflict that, that I generate in myself because of my own ignorance of Four Noble Truths? Right? There is Dukkha. There's a cause for Dukkha. Cessation of Dukkha is possible. And the path leading to the cessation of Dukkha is the Noble Eightfold Path. The Buddha continues, in this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath, devoted to jhana meditation. Mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath, the Buddha teaches, when appropriately developed, is of great benefit. Mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath, when appropriately developed, supports the concentration necessary that brings the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination, meaning at least the development of all these qualities that the Buddha is talking about. Then the Buddha says, friends, this is the direct path, meaning the Eightfold Path, for the purification of all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice, which means there's such a thing as a wrong method of practice, which would be something that is outside of the Eightfold Path. And for complete unbinding. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness, when appropriately developed, bring the seven factors for awakening to their culmination. Right? So there's no grasping after the seven factors of awakening. If we want to experience it, we'll do what the Buddha teaches us. The four foundations of mindfulness, when appropriately, pro, appropriately developed, bring the seven factors for awakening to their culmination. The seven factors for awakening, when appropriately developed, brings clear knowing or right understanding or right view. And release from clinging to, to wrong or ignorant views to their culmination. That's the end of class three. Thank you all. Um, so maybe we can talk about recognizing the benefits of jhana meditation in relation to what we read tonight or in relation to the, this Anapanasate Sutta as we've gone along. And since Jane was the first one on, you get the first call, Jane. Oh, John, John, John. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching. Thank um, you. There is dukkha. And for me, that was, I mean, the pivotal point. It's not that I was doing anything wrong. It's yep. just that I was ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't have the understanding. And, um, and so meditation helped me get the concentration I needed so that I could develop the understanding. Yeah. So thank you. 
that's a that's a, a clear um, expression of understanding, and it is uh, pretty simple and direct once we take to the eightfold path. So thank you, Jane. Um, David, how are you tonight down in Orlando, Florida, live from Hello, Disneyland? Everyone. Hi. Hey, David. You know. Just want to echo what Jane said. It's just a, you know, all I ever wanted from this practice is to understand. I wasn't looking for relief. I wasn't looking for, as you refer to it, salvation. And you know, I, I guess that's the the beauty of falling into this practice with the right scope of what I was looking for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's made it, uh, a practice of ease. So, uh, I was fortunate because I kind of came in like a veal, uh, and not having to undo a lot of things. So I, I appreciate the, the Buddha's direction and, you know, the Sangha because without the Sangha, you know, there's so many course corrections that you seeing people and the the teachings are ongoing and continual so i greatly yes. appreciate it. so thank you yeah thank you david for again another clear explanation of what we're doing here how are you tonight slav thank you john i'm doing good Nice and to see you. Nice to see you too. One day I'm going to actually uh, see your mouth. Slav always shows me just the top half of his head. Like this. There you are. No, but, <laughs> see, now I can see that great smile. <laughs> thank you. And uh, I only tell you today, uh, Anapanasati is my uh, very favorite sutta. And obviously it's uh, Sutta Vishwan. 2007, I opened journey of uh, Buddhism study. It's my first sutta, which one I able to uh, start to yeah. read. And I was fortunate enough. I was go through the sutta with my uh, old friend from Theravada tradition, and uh, very uh, incredible point of view because I read book. Uh, one English speaking uh, after doesn't matter name, but it's kind of give me uh, fluent. You have to practice step by step by step. When I go through the sutra uh, with monk, he basically said, uh, "No, you don't have to practice step by step by step. You have to do simple stuff. Just concentrate on your breath." You distract it, you come back to the breath. And actually, Anapanasati Sutta is described what is can be a cure when you do meditation. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's... yeah it, it, and it, it's such a simple... When, when you read how simple and direct the Buddhist teachings are, it's hard to understand how it became so corrupted, but 
then we exactly is how it's become so complicated kind of like 16 step you have to start from this and practice one month this step second month yeah. this step it's really yeah thank you john appreciate it thank you Slav. good to see you tonight how are you dev good to see you john um I'll be observing noble silence today. I'm glad you joined us tonight, Dev. All right, let's go to the peanut gallery. <laughs> Hello, Zachary. Hello, sir. Thank you for the teaching. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to take noble silence tonight as well. Glad you're here. Let's get around Kevin and get Raquel into the picture. Hello, Raquel. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching. I really absorb big the moments. Left, I like, left you all speechless. <laughs> yeah. Here's Julia. Thank you for the teaching. Hi, everyone. Um, <coughs> I think <coughs> the practice in the this sutta is, I mean, like most students in this. Um, series on jhana practice it's just peeling back like a really nice onion yeah. you know there's four foundations of mindfulness but you can slice and dice it a million different ways and get something new every time you yeah. take it apart so i think tonight's teaching for me particularly in, in this moment um approval versus acceptance took resonated with me differently than it typically does yeah. and i wanted to ask about um I don't know that we talk a lot about empathy mm -hmm. in the practice. Maybe we, sometimes we do, it's just not coming to my mind very well, but the difference between approval and acceptance and the difference between sympathy and empathy feel a little parallel. And I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, sympathy and empathy are obviously um, closely related to each other, but sympathy, um, I'm in simp simpatico is the, it, it, so it, it means that I'm, I understand you because I understand myself, but be, and because I understand you, because I understand myself, then I can be truly uh, empathic with you because I, again, because I understand your stress and suffering, but even more than that. I don't just understand you as another human being who suffers, right? Through the Dhamma, we get to understand another human being who are who also can relish and be glorified in this life too. So it's not just what I'm trying to say is empathy is not just looking at the so-called negative aspects and feeling something for that person, but it's also having the ability to really um, take great joy in other people's joy. And that, that, that's a tough one because most people, their greed stops them from really being truly happy for other people, for people that might have even a better position in life or won the lottery or were lucky enough to catch an extra trout. I mean, really understanding what other human beings are going through. 
I never understood joy until I was able to, to have an empathetic type of joy with another person because of what they were doing. Is everybody following me? So that's, you know, what, what Julia is talking about and I, and, and touch on, I guess what I'm talking about. If we really want to be fully alive, we first have to understand what it means for ourselves. But then because of that, we can understand how, how other people are living their lives and we can take great pleasure in that as well. This is where the, the fullness of human life comes in, is through empathy and, and being in, in sympathy and simpatico with others. And, and really, I don't think through any other way. I, for some reason, um, this might sound a little crazy, but Matt understands that I take such great joy in hearing about his children. I'm always asking him about it. I know, you know, I've known them for 10 years now. I've seen them grow up. They're just wonderful kids. But, you know, I, I, I'm excited for what they're doing. You know, Matt said, you know, Junie really likes softball. I, you know, it's just great. Um, when we lose that selfishness that's part of eye making, then we can be this way with other people. We can really share in the fullness of life. So we understand, you know, there's, there's horrible, there's a horrific war going on right now. I mean, really brutal. And that's part of my humanity. Again, you've heard me say it often here that I'm 68 years old in my entire life. There hasn't been one day when there hasn't been a war going on, human beings killing each other, thinking that they're justified. But in all of that, in all the suffering that's going on in the world, it's still just a small, tiny part of human life. And when we can truly be empathetic with others, we, can, we understand that. Being empathetic with, with each other in this Sangha, I think we, we touched on that. We take great joy in listening to each other awaken and gain full human maturity, don't we? So we experience it right here in, in our little in our little sangha too. Did I go on too much about that for you? <laughs> Thank you. Did I, did John? I yes, David. In Julia's question, I, I I wonder if she's concerned that the practice pushes that out and doesn't allow for that very human emotion and concern for what's going on. And it, not just the big things like that go on in the world, but the, the little things that somehow, to me, it makes me better prepared to show empathy because I'm not, putting myself as much in needing to show that I'm being empathetic or, or showing concern. Uh, yeah. So I just wonder, yeah. like, 
you know, I always, I love your questions because you're such a curious person in, in the, with this practice and trying to put it in a place in this world. Thanks, David. Maybe, maybe like one simple like illustration is sympathy cards in the grocery store, you know, you, with deepest sympathy, I sympathize with you. You know, you, you want to show that you understand where someone's at. They, they, it's always when somebody passed away, you know, with deepest sympathy. Um, I feel like the practice has so much room for empathy in all the ways that you described mm -hmm. just now. But I think, I often find maybe in my own ignorance that there's a place to have sympathy for me. And maybe it's just how I frame it or the, that. I don't know. I guess I sort of struggle with that notion because so often we talk about how like there's Dukkha, full stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, well, but does that allow for sympathy as well? Yes, I, I, I think it does. Um, and there, there's kind of a fine line between being symp sympathetic for another person without hooking in salvation mm -hmm. that you need to do something. Or anything. And, and, yeah. yeah. And, and there, <clears throat> if you can, if you can develop the Dhamma, you'll free yourself of the need to save anybody. But it doesn't mean that you won't be helpful to everyone. And, and this, this sutta talks about that, doesn't it? Having concern, having compassion for other people. But we can't truly be compassion, compassionate for other people until we develop the Dhamma. Because once, once we allow self salvation the need to save anything then i become the authority and you become the subject and that's that's always painful <coughs> but just understanding what it means to be a human being allows me to be truly sympathetic and compassionate without it being self-serving or even mm -hmm. condescending mm -hmm. So you mentioned sending a sympathy card that your mind has found in Woolworths. I said, well, is there still such a Woolworths? Woolworths? Nice. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, when I think of Woolworths, I think of the ice cream counter. <laughs> are we, are we no. Uh, living in the fantasy, John. Huh? If, if you're going to send a sympathy card out, ask yourself, what is your motivation? Mm -hmm. If you, if you want that person to think, wow, they're so wonderful that they thought of me, that's probably not the best reason. But if you just want someone to let you know that you're thinking of them, <laughs> but that's not the whole, that's not the big thing, mm -hmm. I care about you. It, it's a wonderful thing. But it all comes back to what is my intention here? Mm -hmm. What am I trying to do? If, if, am I trying to tell an, an, a, a good friend you know, I heard you got some troubles and I'm thinking about you. Nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. you know. But again, what's most important on a daily basis is Dhamma practice. Because then we know that we will be conflict-free in the world.
and we'll make much better decisions. And we'll stop thinking that we need to save the world because we can't. You know, the, the, the first noble truth, if it were for, to believe the Buddha, is there is dukkha. And there's always going to be dukkha on this human planet, at least as far as we know. You know, I, I was one of those that grew up in the new age of Aquarius. This was supposed to be the dawning of a new consciousness, a new cosmic consciousness where we're all one. Well, that's just a fantasy, isn't it? It's a nice fantasy, but it's a fantasy. It's not the reality of human life. So if we want to really... Um, If we really want to live a human life, we have to live a human life. We have to understand humanity, what it means, right? And it doesn't mean that we should just focus on the fact that we haven't really grown up much in 2,600 years as far as our aggression towards each other. But we can do what we can do. Right? And what can we do? What's the most important thing we can do? I think as a Dhamma practitioner is to end conflict in my mind. And I know that I'm a much better human being and I enjoy my life a whole lot more than I ever did when I got rid of that conflict. So again, sorry for the long answer, but it, you, you inspired uh, a good class. As you usually do. Thanks, Julia. Let's go to Ram. <clears throat> Ram, did anything? In, oh, Jane, do you have your you have your hand up? Just noticed that. Okay, Ram, do you have anything interesting to talk about? Um, maybe. <laughs> Setting it off after Julia's uh, comment and question. Um, I have people in my direct surrounding that are very empathetic. They actually call themselves empaths. Um, and I've noticed that it, um, it brings them great suffering. Uh, and, and I can clearly see that it's because they, they really have no true understanding of their own emotions mm. and therefore if they encounter somebody else's um, you know emotions of, of suffering or whatever it just it brings them great suffering they can't they can't disconnect themselves from that yeah. you know, it can also bring them uh, joy and glee and all that kind of stuff but um, it, I've, I've watched it for for a long time and um, empathy without understanding is is not a good thing. Um, it it does it it does no good in the world if you know if there is such a thing. Um, but it it leads to more suffering. Yeah. While you would think that that it's it's something that you know that's good. You know it it makes it and, and it's because it makes us all more one. You know, if we all have the same emotions, uh, or if we can feel each other emotions, um, but unless there's an understanding of your own emotion, that there's that there's no uh, certainly no salvation in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, on, a, on, a, on another subject, you know, I, I watched a, a deer, you know, laying by the side of the road after it destroyed half of my vehicle and, and um, just, you know, and I just looked at it. There it was all crumpled up and folded up and eyes glazed over and blood coming out. Um, and I could just look at that without without feeling even sorry for it you know this was just what happened yeah um, and you know i looked at my truck and it was like okay this is also what happened uh, and you know dealt with it and 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 that was it um, but yeah here's you know 10 years of dharma practice at work yeah um, and it wasn't a condescending or avoidance-based view. It was just no. this is what occurred. This is what occurs. Yeah. And, you know, the, the deer is in a, in a in an environment where, you know, <clears throat> and and my truck is in an environment where where the two sometimes can collide. Yeah. And um, there's only so much you can do to avoid that. And it, it's it's going to happen from time to time. Yeah. But there are sympathy cards. But yeah, thank you. Yeah. We'll send one to watch for. Let's everyone send her on the same. <laughs> <laughs> and and you you maintained a calm and peaceful mind. Yeah, actually, in in, in a way, to my surprise, because I was standing there, you know, next to my truck, with bleeding coolant, and I know it's not going to move anymore for quite some time, and. Um, um, there, there was just no, there was no panic. There was no, um, uh, I wasn't even trying to beat myself up. Uh, you know, I should have looked out better and this, that. Um, it, it was in a way, it, it was surprisingly um, effortless. Um, and, and in a way, I, there was, the core of it was really that I that I accepted the situation. It's, yeah. it's, it's just here. You know? yeah. Here we are. And you didn't have to go to approval or I hate that deer. Right. Or how stupid I am to not see it. Uh -huh. or it just, pretty good, huh? Not bad. <laughs> After 10 years of practice. Yeah, man. Thank you, Rob. Here's Kevin. Hey, John. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I experienced something sort of along with what Julia's question was. Um, maybe my contribution would be a little of a story like that. Uh, Please. A few weeks back, I drove a friend to New York, to Brooklyn. Um, you know, me being kind of a country guy, I guess I don't go to the city that often. So I experienced something and saw something I haven't seen in a long time. Had some time to kill as he went to his business meeting and I'm getting paid for the day and walked around and Something struck me. I saw this this gentleman walking with a bag, and he was he had a stick. He's batting it around. He's a blind man, and then I I just kind of looked at him for a minute and was sort of like okay, walking down the street, people giving him space, and, and you know he crossed the street, so I, I kind of just didn't have anything to do. I was looking for a place to get an ice cream or something, and I'm walking. I kind of followed him, just kind of curious to see what's going to happen? You know, how's this guy going to get where he needs to go? You know, is, is someone going to take his lunch? Is, is someone going to stop for him? 
So I kept following them a block or two. And then as I came to sort of this intersection, I, I thought, you know, maybe I could help across the street. And before I did something, um, an older woman, you know, ethnic, you know, said, grabbed him and said, you can go now. It's like, oh, wow, this is how this works. I guess you know, people help along. So across the street, across another street, look up another block, and I was sort of saying, all right, this is, I guess he's going to be all right. You know, I'm going to, that's a blind guy being a blind guy. I'm going to go down the street the way I'm going. So he went across a block, and then he turned around. And so I figured at that point, you know, maybe I'd go talk to him said, hey, excuse me, how can I help you get somewhere? And just smiled at me and just said, actually, yeah, I'm I'm going right, you know, he's like, I'm going right here to this building. And, you know, I just was finding my way here and he said, he said thank you. And, you know, that was it. So I'm not going to distill out what the meaning was of all that, but but it was experienced what Julie's question was. It was experienced mm-hmm. all in that moment. And it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool moment. Um, you know, how do you share, you know, talk about sharing humanity with someone you can't see, you know, but he smiled at me and, and I don't even think he knew that I helped him across the street earlier, but um, it was just really, really touching to see how others helped him, how he was probably happier than most people going about their day, oh, yeah. just walking around in his sandals with his bag of lunch, going back home and, and I've thought about him since. I'm like, you know, what happens when it gets colder, you know, when the ice is out there, what's going to, and, and it's just cool to, to check out that, you know, that, that yeah. he's got a community, people are helpful. And it was pretty beautiful to see, like, you know, people would, would let him go, help him out. So mm-hmm. it was cool to participate. Thank you for that. And again, you, you, you point to the, to the, The beauty of a human life, you know, and it is simple things like that. Uh, and I think everybody is open to, oh, here's a blind guy, let me, and they might think maybe I'll help them, but you're actually present for this guy's life. And I mean, I, that's, that's what, that's what makes life so fulfilling, doesn't it? With something like that. Um, you know, I take Uber a lot now to get around to doctors' offices and maybe once in a while go out to take myself out to lunch. And to a person, I, I just can't help but talk to these people and ask them how they're doing and how do you like driving for Uber and blah, blah, blah. But to a person, they're interesting. You know, they're, it, and I, I don't even know what I'm saying about this. It's wonderful to just be present for my life now. And I think you're, you're saying the same thing. To just be present for the, the blind guy walking down the street and have that experience. And for everything else that goes on in our lives. You know, I mean, I, I've lived an incredible life. I've done a lot of the things that I wanted to do. You know, my bucket list was almost empty anyway. And then I did empty it because the things that were in it, I wasn't going to do anyway. I put one more thing back into it. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody what it is. 
keep it to myself. <laughs> Whatever happens, I'll let you all know. Matt, Mr. Empathy. Thank you for the teaching, John. Really appreciate listening to everyone tonight. Um, good discussion. I don't have anything to add tonight. Thank you, Matt. And thank all of you. The uh, Another wonderful class. I know I say that often, and Slav, this is one of my favorite suttas. They all are. Um, are there any other questions or comments about tonight's class or anything Dahmer-related? Thanks, Heather. All right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. And remember that this is the Buddha's description of the qualities of an awakened human being from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And again, here's the Buddhist words on Metta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. They're humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living being there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, and having completed the path, they do not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The end of the sutta and the end of our class. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.